Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you we just want to thank you for your word. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We bless you for the joy, oh God, we saw on the stage as uh, children were dedicated to you. We thank you for the, for you have given us joy as a people and we're grateful for it. We don't take it for granted. Lord, bless your word, heavenly father, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Today we want to bring to a close, um, what we've been doing literally since the start of the year, uh, after the Lord gave us a word out of Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, about launching out into the deep. If you permit me, I'll read the scripture to you um, so that it can form a backdrop uh, to what we are going to share with us. It's a word that we believe God gave us as a church at the, uh, as we crossed over from 2021 into 2022. And if you open up your heart, I I believe God will speak to us um, out of this word today as we bring this this series to a close. Um, Luke's Gospel, the fifth chapter, verses 1 to 11. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep. And that's where uh, the title for the series has come from. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Quick paraphrase of the story. Jesus is... Um, going on a ministry journey. He arrives at the lake of Gennesaret. There's a big crowd that is pressing against him. Um, And so to be able to continue the ministry and to be able to preach to the crowd, and I guess to also use the science of preaching um, across the waters to amplify his voice, he looks for a boat. And there are a number of boats there, but he chooses Simon's boat. And he gets into Simon's boat, asks Simon if he can use his boat to finish his ministry assignment. And when he finishes his ministry assignment, finishes speaking to the crowd, he turns around to Simon and says, 
Why don't you launch out into the deep? Why don't you go into deeper waters and let down your nets? Simon was a fisherman. Let down your nets so that you can uh, do what you do as, fish, as, as, as a fisherman. You can catch fish. And Simon says to him, we've already done that. And frankly, we've been doing that all night, fishing all night. That was the right time to fish, not the time that Jesus was saying he should do it. The fishermen went out at night. We've done it all night. In fact, he uses the word, we've toiled all night. We've worked hard at it all night. And we haven't caught anything. It was a failure uh, uh, that, that we were involved in. It didn't work. Uh, we came back with zero zilch. Nothing happened. And we are really tired. But then Simon had the wisdom to understand that this was the creator of the ends of the earth. This was the one who decrees a thing and it comes to pass. This was the maker of heaven and earth. This was the one that speaks and doors, opens. This, and doors open. This was the one who holds the world together by the power of his spoken word. This was the savior of the world. It wasn't just anybody who was giving him a word. It was the savior of the world. This was Jesus Christ. This was God, a part of the Trinity, the son of God himself. This was the one who spoke into darkness and darkness receded. This was the one for whom the whole world was created. In him was all things created. This was God himself that was saying to him, launch out. And Simon had that wisdom. And, and despite what had happened to him, despite the failure, despite the fatigue, he said to him, nevertheless, at your word, because you say so, we will launch out into the deep and let down our nets for a catch. And he did that, launched out into the deep, rode further into deep waters and let down his net for a catch. And to their amazement, as if there was a, a fish magnet in their nets that was attracting, calling all the fish that were in the sea, their nets became full of fish in the daytime when the fish should have been hiding. Uh, he just did what God does. He overturned the laws because he wanted to make something happen. And the, the catch was so much, the blessing was so much that it started to threaten their boats. Their boats started to sink because of the, 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 the enormous catch that they had. So much so that they had to look around for help. And now, you know, that's the kind of blessing somebody should be praying for, where it is so much that you're saying, can someone come and help me uh, be a part of what God is doing in my life. And they found other boats, other partners, and shared it with them. And the experience was so, it was, it was so much for Peter. It, it messed him up completely. I mean, what is this? Who is this? Who does this? What kind of grace is this? What kind of mercy is this? I just don't even deserve it, he said. I'm just like a sinner. Yeah, on the contrary, I should be judged, but I am getting this show of mercy. And he falls at Jesus' feet, totally astonished uh, at, at what has happened. And then Jesus gives him um, two instructions towards the end. So just a couple of things, if we can whiz through. We don't have um, as much time because of so many things that we had to do today. Uh, so just want to whiz through and bring this to a close. The first thing that struck me as I read this again for the upteenth time was how it is so clear from those scriptures that God had a plan for Simon. Uh, it wasn't Simon who orchestrated things. It was Christ himself 
who orchestrated things. Christ initiated the process that led to that miracle that happened in his life. It made me once more reflect, <laughs> reflect on how God has plans for our lives. You know, we can get busy running around, trying to forge ahead in a career, trying to do all the many things that we want to do and forget that there is a God in heaven who has a plan for our lives. The whole process of this miraculous catch was initiated by Jesus. His actions were very deliberate and very intentional. You know, it reminds me of the scriptures, Proverbs 19, verse 21, that says, There are many plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose for him, that will stand. God has a purpose for you. Uh, God has a plan for you. You are here on earth because God has something for you to do. You're not just like a piece of driftwood. None of us is that is floating on the seas of life, that is carried by the waves of life wherever the waves want to carry that piece of driftwood. None of us is like that. We, we, we are here on earth because God has a plan for our lives. One of the greatest blessings that can come upon a person is to discover God's plan for their lives. He says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, uh, I, I know the plans I have for you. Some translations say the thoughts. And that's so, that's so encouraging that God is there thinking about you, thinking about me. He has plans in his mind for us. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. And then he goes on to give us an encouragement. He says, these are good plans. They are not for disaster. These are plans to give you a future and a hope. Heaven is very deliberate. Heaven is very intentional. God is a God of purpose. God has a plan for you. The second thing that, that struck me as I read this scripture is that with God, it is never too late. You see, it's a function of God's nature. He loves us more than we know. Believe me, he loves you more than you know. Um, sometimes it can get lost, you know. How much does God love me? Well, the practical demonstration of that love is he loves you enough to send his own son to die for you. Now, when you put that in perspective, we just dedicated children. And the parents of those children we dedicated love a lot of people. They love their parents if their parents are alive. They love their siblings if their siblings are alive. They have friends that they love. But I can assure you, even if they don't say it, none of those parents is going to ask that child we dedicated to, be, to hang on a cross for all the people they say they love. If you ask them, they are going to say, we love you, but, but. How many know that's what they are going to say? But, but this child I'm carrying can't die for you. I can't pay that price for my love for you. And then they're going to find a million and one excuses. You know, you're already in your 50s or 60s as a parent. You've kind of lived your life, you know. So if, if somebody has to die, you go. This child is just starting. You know, you're my sibling, yes. But, you know, I, I, this child that, that the, the mothers have carried in, in their wombs. But he gave his only begotten son. To die on a cross, a horrific death. To take your place and my place and pay the price for our sins. Just so that you and I can be free from the tyranny of sin. How many know he loves us more than we can imagine? 
He wants us to achieve our purposes more than we do. The Bible says that the disciples, and we could miss this, they had got out of their boats, they had washed their nets. How many know for a fisherman, it's game over? By the time I'm out of the boat washing my nets and drying my nets, I'm saying that particular trip is over, we've got to look to another day. They had given up, but God had not given up on them. Can I say to someone, God has not given up on you. Others might have. You might have even yourself. But God has not given up on you. If that's you, can you say an amen to that? And the third thing that, 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 that these scriptures tell us that I found really interesting is that the most straightforward way, and everybody wants to be blessed by God. Who doesn't want to be blessed by God? The most straightforward way to get God to be a blessing is to let God use it. You see, because God is very purpose-driven. Religion wants us to think God is sentimental. He's not sentimental. He's driven by purpose, driven by his agenda, a kingdom agenda, driven to bring to a dying world the good news of his son, Jesus Christ. He's driven, driven by love, propelled by love. It's his love for us that propelled him to send his son to die for us. It's the love in his son's heart that propelled him through pain and torture and treachery to the cross. His very purpose driven. And many times Jesus drives home this point that it's, it's all about the kingdom agenda. In Luke 2 verse 49, he says, Luke 2 verse 49, he said to them, and this was a 12-year-old boy, if you know the background to that story. They, the family had gone for the Passover in Jerusalem. They traveled distance for the Passover. And then the family had left thinking that Jesus was in the train. There was loads of families who were going back to where they came from. And then they found out that Jesus wasn't in the train. And they all panicked. Where is he? He'd been missing for three days and they didn't realize and so they rushed back to Jerusalem, you know, thinking, we've lost him. We've lost our 12-year-old. Where, where can we find this 12-year-old boy? And when they find him, he's sitting there having deep conversations with the elders, with, with those who, who, who are years ahead of him, who are versed in scriptures. And what is his response to them? He said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? It was all about his father's business, even from the age of 12. He was so purposeful. He understood that it's the kingdom agenda, the kingdom agenda. In John, the ninth chapter and the fourth verse, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. I must be about the business. 
And that's where there's a disconnect with a lot of the church today. We don't understand that like him, the priority is that we must be about our father's business. That's number one thing. So Jesus says to him in verse, in verse 3, he says to Peter, and I like the way the Passion Translation puts it, very plain English. He says to him, let me use your boat. And you know, I feel Jesus is saying the same thing to so many of us. Let me use your career. It's not saying lose your career, but he's saying understand that there is a purpose for your career. There's a kingdom agenda in that career. Saying, let me use your house. Let me use your car. Give me some of your time. Let me use your intellect. Let me use everything that I've blessed you with. But then we have an adversary that wants us to compartmentalize our lives. I remember speaking to someone who was a businessman and trying to get him to understand that that this, there's, a, there's a kingdom way of doing business. We are kingdom citizens. We don't, we don't do it like the world. Profits is not all that we drive for. We understand that this business is there to make a difference. We understand that the way we treat our employees must be different because they are giving to us a responsibility. We are like a family head for them. And sometimes... We reduce the profits so that we can achieve a kingdom agenda. We understand that the profits are so that we can use it to make the world a better. We get it. There's a kingdom agenda to win souls for Christ. But the enemy wants us to create compartments. So this guy said to me, you know, after, pontif after I'd pontificated for a while, he said, Pastor, you know, you just, you just stay as a pastor. Do the pastor thing. He said, this is business, Pastor. He said, this business world, he says, it's a doggy dog world. You have to be an animal, pastor, to succeed in this business world. He says, you have to be, you have to be hard and tough and ruthless. Pastor, it's if kill or be killed. I thought, what Bible is that in? But obviously, the guy comes to church, sits in church every Sunday. But in his mind, he's separated the things. I'm doing church but I'm also doing business. But God is saying, let me use your boat. The fourth thing that, that, that strikes you out of that scripture is that if you want to launch out into the deep, you're going to have to overcome the limitations of the mind. Jesus said to him, launch out into the deep. Heaven had a plan. The plan was not being formed on the go. But what was his response? The mind kicked in. His intellect kicked in. He was a fisherman. He was experienced. He had knowledge. And you know, sometimes God must have a laugh in heaven. Because we think sometimes we have more knowledge than God. God, God, you, God you don't understand stocks and shares and ISAs. You know, no, 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 there's no, no, no provision in the Bible for that. I mean, God, you just can't get algorithms. Lord, you don't understand futures. To trade in futures in the oil market, God, you don't understand. Just bless me while I use my knowledge, God, 
to bring it to pass. That's how we treat God. And God is sitting there having a laugh. So, of course, that was what Simon was saying to, to Jesus. Simon was saying, Jesus, you know, stay with preaching. This is fishing. We are the fishermen. We go out at night. That's when, when fishermen fish. And we have been toiling. And I love that word toiling. Jesus, you don't get it. This wasn't a one-hour fishing expedition. We were there all night, Jesus, working hard. We've given our all. And nothing happened. And for a lot of us to enter what God has planned for us, we literally have to suspend parts of our minds. If God said it, then somehow God is going to do it. And God is capable of doing whatever he says. That's the whole story of the Bible. If God said it, it's presumption if God didn't say it. That's presumption. And sometimes presumption can end you in a place you don't want to end up in. Disaster. But if God said it, then we trust that God can do it. Even if it doesn't add up in our minds. The mother of our Savior was told by an angel from God, you're going to have a child. She said to the angel, that's not possible. I'm a virgin. I haven't slept with a man. The natural process hasn't taken place. And she was justified in saying that. But the angel said to her, well, it's going to happen. Because the Spirit of God, the power of God, the resurrection power that brought Jesus back to life is going to overshadow you. And when that happens, anything can happen that God says. She had the wisdom to say, it, to, say to him, well, if you say so, be it unto me according to your word, whatever you say. And that's exactly what Simon did. Simon said, we toiled all night. It was a failure. My natural mind is telling me that this doesn't make any sense. But, and I love the word nevertheless, in spite of all that, at your word. And that leads me to the fifth thing, at your word. You see, the success as we launch out is going to depend on two things, the word and the spirit. At your word, if God says so. And it's not just if God says so because I read it in the Bible. That's good in a general sense. But when you want to make quantum leaps, you want to take steps of faith, please let it go beyond I read it in the Bible. Let it be that what I read in the Bible, the Spirit of God brought to life and it became a particular word to me. So he says, at your word. And why was, what was he saying? I have a word now. He had had many words. But now he had a word. It had become what the theologians call a rema. The Spirit of God had put his breath upon it. It had come alive. It was living, throbbing, pulsating. 
It was galvanizing. It arrested his attention. A word. In much the same way that walking on the water, he said to Peter, come. And just that one word, come, Peter's obedience with that word created a combustion that suspended the laws of nature so that he could walk on water. May you get a word from God. And it's not just the word, it's also the spirit. I love the scriptures in John 3 verse 8, that's where, where the Bible says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. I love that scripture. You know what it means? When you are walking with the spirit, people can't tell what you're going to do all the time. Because God's ways are not our ways. And sometimes the Spirit will say, do that. And it makes absolutely no sense. But the Spirit says, do it. And once you know it is God who sees the end from the beginning, he has seen something that you don't know. Just do it. And the sixth thing that struck me was how this scripture helps us understand that generosity is the bedrock of our faith. You see, we are always blessed to be a blessing. God sees beyond the person. He sees others who are going to be affected by what he has done to the person, for the person, for the family. The world flips it upside down. And wants to stop the blessing. But the economy of God is that we are blessed to be a blessing. We affect others by what God has given us. By what God has done for us. It's the economy of heaven. And it's, 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 it's foundational. The patriarch of our faith, Abraham. And you know... People love the song, Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham's blessings. How many know that, know that song? I'm blessed in the morning. I'm blessed in the evening. Abraham's blessings are mine. But may Abraham's generosity be yours too. The Bible says in Genesis, the 12th chapter and the second verse. I will make you a great nation was God's, what, God, what God said to Abraham. I will bless you. And make your name great. And God could have stopped there. But God goes on and says to him. And you shall be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. As we come towards the end of the ages. The world becomes a very selfish place. A very self-centered place. The Christian should be an antidote to that in the world. Generosity is who we are. We think about others. We give of ourselves to others. You know, and you can be generous in a lot of ways. Of course, you give financially. You give of, 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 of your material resources. But you can also be generous with your time. I mean, over the last two days, as, as we've done a lot of the prepping for the Uncommon Woman Conference, I've seen levels of generosity that are astounding. I've seen the teams that are involved go beyond the boundaries of duty 
Yesterday, uh, Ifi and the multimedia team, they were literally here, the, those who were here till 2 o'clock or, 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 or later than that. And guess what? We call, my wife called Ifi this morning and she was back in church. She barely slept. Now, most of you wouldn't know that. I mean, Usman, he's just been, and I'll tell you what God told me about Usman later. I mean, it's crazy what that, that young man is doing. It's ridiculous. The way he has given of himself and with a good attitude. Skipping all over the place, running all over the place, laughing. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Who does that? A child of God does it. Moved, not just by Red Bull, but by the Spirit of God. And with joy. So you enjoyed working with Usman. He's just, you know, I mean, he, I don't know how many miles he covered running. And I thought to myself, why is Usman running? Can't he walk? I mean, by this time, I was walking like, I don't know if it was an age factor, but I was almost broken. I was tired. I mean, I was so tired. I don't even know if I said I was so tired. And you know when you're tired, you do crazy things. You eat wrong. You just mess up your whole diet. I was driving on the motorway, exhausted, and I saw a Burger King on the M1. How many know that Burger King on the M1, the first one, the service station? And, and the sign was actually calling my name, Agu, go in here, lie with me. Like how, how Potiphar's wife was calling Joseph, lie with me. That Burger King was saying, lie with me. And so... I fell. I turned off the motorway into Burger King. And I got a Whopper with cheese. Um, what's the one? Large. The big one. And I had a portion of fries. Large. And then this, this I've ne never drank. The Coke, the, I mean, nothing should be banned. But I had this massive Coke. And then I bought nuggets. And I sat there and ate everything. And promptly fell asleep after eating everything. When I woke up, I thought, wow, this is so near Jesus' house. Somebody would have come in there and thought, man, this ministry is messing pastor up. He was in Burger King fast asleep with his leg on a chair. I slept off, exhausted. And here was Usman running up and down like, like he was one of those toys that you wind up. And you know, as you go on in that story, you come to the point where he, 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 Jesus has done all these things and he's just dazed, you know. I mean, come on. He says, I'm a, I'm a sinner. You know what he's saying? That's the seventh point. I don't deserve this. I mean, come on. I don't. How many have been there where God does stuff for you and you know, you know, forget all the, all the putting your best foot on social media and all that stuff. You know. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't see the people online, but in here, has anybody been there where you know that God, between you and I, I don't deserve this? How many have been there where you're saying, God, between you and I, it doesn't make sense. Why would you do this? I mean, God, you know the issue. You remember last week, God, 
Nobody knew, but you and I knew where I flunked the exam. You know when I fell. You know when I spoke in a way that I should. You know God. God, you know that. You know, you know God. That was what Simon was saying. Why are you doing this to me? I'm a sinner. And that helps us understand grace. Unmerited favor. Aren't you glad that God doesn't conduct an election to decide to be merciful to you? Aren't you glad that he doesn't call a committee to decide whether you should deserve mercy? Aren't you glad that as the Bible says, he chooses to have mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy? It's like God is saying to people who are watching, that's your business. I have made up my mind. I'm going to bless her. I've chosen to have mercy. And yes, she did it. And Satan is there, the accuser of brethren saying, but she did, she did, she did, she did, she did. And God is saying, I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember because the blood of Jesus has washed it away. So the God of all knowledge chooses to have selective amnesia because of the blood of Jesus. And then he ends with these two things. And on this point, I want to end. After he's done all these things for Simon, it's almost like he's heading somewhere. He says to Simon, now I'm going to make you thank God for all this fish, all these material things. Thank God for the car, the house. Thank God for the wife, the husband, the child. Thank God for the nice holidays, the good job that pays well. Thank God for the bonuses every year. He says, but the priority is you've got to be a fisher of men. What is he saying? All of us are called to be evangelists. Of course, there are those who are in the office of the evangelist, the fivefold ministry. There are those who are in the office of the evangelist. But every Christian is an evangelist. We are called to tell our story. I might not be able to preach like Benny Hinn or Billy Graham or some of the great evangelists that we know. But Billy Graham cannot tell my story better than me. Because my story is my story. And what is my story? I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. And you can't tell that story better than me. So people say, teach us to be evangelists. I say, we already have the teaching, the story. Just tell your story. It's your story. So nobody can say to you, why are you telling that story? It's my story. You don't know how blind I was. You don't know how lost I was. You don't know how deep the pit was. You don't know where he found me. I know where he found me. And I'm telling you, he found me. There's a difference between the darkness I was in and the light I am in. There's a world of difference. You might not understand it, but I know. And that's how we win people to Christ. By having a heart. Jesus said to him, it's all about catching men. And then he ends by saying this to him. And a lot of people don't like to hear the one he said. He says to him as he ends, and, and I end also on this note. He says, from now on you will catch men. And then, the Bible says, when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. You know, the, 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 the Christianity that the world wants today, <laughs> they don't want a Christianity of forsaking all to follow him. Mm. 
God, can we, you know, let's have spaces for everything. You know, it's the thinking of the world. You know, there's space for everything. I go to the golf club. I go to the gym, the space for the gym. I go to work, the space for work. I do my socials, the space for socials. The thought that we forsake all. And you know, forsaking all doesn't mean physically leaving everything. It's a hard thing. God looks into the heart and he knows where there are idols we are worshipping that are not him. He can tell that these things have become idols. We haven't forsaken all to follow him. He's simply not priority. He's just one of the many other things that we do. The way Paul puts it in Romans, the 12th chapter and the first verse, constantly, that's scripture. It constantly challenges me. And I, and I wanted us to look at this in the Amplified Classic version. Paul says, and we end on this note. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. What does that mean in plain English? Paul says, if you understand mercy, if you look at your life and you see what God has done, you know you don't deserve it. He says, Paul says, if you are reasonable, rational, and intelligent. This is not a spiritual calculation. It's actually a mental calculation. That's what Paul is saying. There's no hocus pocus. There's nothing, no spiritual cloud. Paul says, just reason, intelligence, and rationality. When you look at what God has done, you will say to yourself, I have no option but to give myself a living sacrifice to God. God, do whatever you want with me. The God who did all these things, God, anything you say, I dedicate myself to you. Can someone say amen? amen. Father, we just want to thank you. And maybe there's someone who hasn't given their lives to Christ. And you want to do so. Like Paul said, you want to, you look at the mercies of God. Start with the mercy of life itself. You've come through a pandemic. Many are not here. Then think of the mercy of provision. How God has miraculously provided for, for you. And then go on and on. The mercy of good health. And even if you don't have good health, the mercy that you can hope for good health. And the list goes on and on. Paul says, you come to a rational, reasonable, and intelligent conclusion. I need to be in a relationship with this God. And if that is you, well, what an opportunity uh, today. And you say to me, what exactly do I need to do? He's already done the hard work. He's lifted the heavy load. He's given his life for you, paid the price. There was a price to pay. But he's paid the price. All you've got to do is receive the gift. It's like, an ins an, uh, uh, it's like insurance where somebody has paid the premium and all you have to do is collect your papers. And so if there's someone who says, I want to do that, I want to start a relationship with him, you might be in this worship center or you might be listening online. 
Well, it's simple. You just make the confession with your mouth because the price has already been paid. And if you want to make that confession, then just say this simple prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your son Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for me. And today I receive the gift of salvation into my life. I accept him today as my Lord and Savior. I commit myself to a growing relationship with him. Give me the grace to turn away from anything that I am doing that is sinful or displeasing to you as I embrace Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for welcoming me into your family. Today, I am born again into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes, it's a good time to celebrate. The Bible tells us there's a party going on in heaven. It's a good time to celebrate.